Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner with Zion Hebraic Congregation. Today's Shabbat message is from the last Torah portion in Genesis, which is titled, And He Lived. It's Genesis 47, 28 through 50, 26. Uh, you can check us out on our website if you want, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you'll find other past Shabbat messages as well as uh, articles, blogs, uh, written by myself and my dad. Uh, you can also follow us along on our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does not. So Genesis 47, and it's the Torah portion for this week. Let me get there. Um, I wanted to do it, the, the Torah portion because it's the end of Genesis, for one. And um, it's a yearly cycle. There's some people that follow a yearly cycle, some people follow a three-year cycle. Um, it's debated as to what... Um, they did at the time of Yeshua. Some people think that they were on a one year. Some people think a three year cycle because Yeshua's his ministry was three years and he kind of lived out the Torah portions, which may or may not have validity to it. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting to think about, um, but you can go where you want with that. <laughs> he did. He did read the portion in the synagogue. Yeah. Well, yeah. <clears throat> Right. Yeah. Yep. I can't remember now. I want. To, I can't remember if it was a portion that was read or if it actually. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. But I'm not. I can't remember if that was actually in the portion or not. But anyways. Yeah. I mean, he captivated the people nonetheless. So Genesis 47, and. Yes. Which is an our core portion. We just go to Genesis to Deuteronomy and start with Right. It would be in the Haftor right. portion, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did do the Haftor at that point, yeah. Yeah. But it's you know, again it's debated like what exactly they were doing at that time. Some people think that was part of the Torah portion, other people think that that actually wasn't part of the Torah portion. And so when he opened up and he read it and he didn't read from the Torah portion, that's part of why they all kind of looked at him. And um and then obviously the implications that he made from it were pretty big. And um Yeah, 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 P pulling up there, standing up there pulling out the scroll and reading from it and uh yeah and it was him reading it yeah would have been amazing um so i wanted to go through this um because it, it has some important things in it specifically the blessing of joseph and ephraim and manasseh and um them being in egypt and them burying jacob back in the land um, and Joseph's desire to be, I'm sorry, 
yeah, Joseph's desire to be buried back in the land eventually when they would, when they would eventually uh, come out of Egypt. And so there's really important principles here that apply throughout the whole of Scripture, especially as you get into the New Testament, because if you don't understand the history in the Tanakh and what goes on with Israel as a corporate body, the northern and southern kingdoms, Judah and Ephraim, when you get to the New Testament and Yeshua says things like, I have come to gather the lost sheep of the house of Israel, you won't really understand what that means. And so you can draw all kinds of erroneous conclusions such as he came for spiritual Israel or, you know, the church or something new like that, whereas in fact that's not what was going on throughout, uh, throughout the whole of Scripture because Scripture is, is one book, it's a whole, it didn't all change halfway through or two-thirds of the way through when Yeshua suddenly showed up on the scene. Um, because you have to put yourself into the first century context. If you were walking around, wandering around, and then all of a sudden Yeshua or the disciples or Paul showed up on the scene and said, hey guys, let's have a, a, a you know, put a pig on a spit and have a barbecue, that would not go over well. And uh, Paul even paid for uh, the Nazarite, those uh, guys, three Nazarite vow sacrifices, which was really costly to prove, because as James said, that he wasn't telling anyone not to keep the Torah. Because there were people accusing him, saying, you tell uh, our people not to circumcise their children and not to uh, keep the customs of the fathers. And, he's, and he was demonstrably showing, of course, that's not true. So... Um, so that's a, so all that to say, it's important to keep all of these things in mind when you read the scripture and read it as a whole. If you can start to think through it um, from a first century perspective and kind of pull yourself out of the context of thinking that um, things changed or that Israel was done away with or any of these kind of things, it'll start to be much more coherent. Um, so... Let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for <clears throat> this Shabbat, the Torah portions that you give us, and that we can go through them and learn from them. Um, I just pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts and lives, and that we would take your word, apply it, learn from it, and uh, be lights in this world that we live in, uh, that you would come back quickly and redeem us out of the exile and set up your kingdom on earth again. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. So, Genesis 47, and it actually starts in chapter 28. So we'll start there. 47, 28. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the whole age of Jacob was 147 years. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, Now, if now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me, and bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. So at this point, you've got Joseph down in Egypt. All the brothers have come down um, after the whole thing with Benjamin and Judah and all of that. And so they're, all the whole family is in the land, in, down in the land of Egypt now, and they've settled in the land of Goshen. <clears throat> and Joseph is still in charge for the most part other than Pharaoh. 
And so now Jacob, Israel, is getting old and he's going to die. And so he's saying, don't bury me here. I want to be buried with my fathers in the land of Canaan because Abraham bought that cave where he buried Sarah and Abraham was buried there and Isaac and Rachel are buried there. And so Jacob wants to be buried there as well. And so he's saying, you know, when I die, bring me back there and, and, and bury me there. And, uh, and that was, if I'm remembering correctly, the first piece of land that Abraham bought in the land of Canaan when God brought him there. So 48 verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph come unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself <clears throat> and sat upon the bed. So remember, these are Joseph's two sons, which he had um, from, through his wife. I forget her name, but it was, she was uh, the daughter of some priest down in, in Egypt. So they're not pure-blooded. Ah, you know. So they are uh, a mixture. And so I think Joseph kind of knew that. I'm sorry, Israel knew that. And also, God obviously had a big plan for all of this. But it's important to note that, I think, because this idea that... So there's an idea within even Judaism and within the whole Messianic world that some people think that if you are physically Israel, meaning you have some sort of Israel or Jewish DNA blood running through you, then you are then you're legit Israel and should keep the Torah. But if you're not, if you're, if you're from some modeled, you know, Gentile blood of who knows what, wherever, then you, uh, you don't have to keep the Torah. You know, you can if you want. But this is not a, a true theme that goes throughout the Bible at all. You have Joseph's own kids who are half-breeds, you know. Judah um, with, uh, what was it, Tamar? Yeah, Tamar. So you have this, this isn't the quite the correct terminology, but you have this mixture of inbreeding, not inbreeding, but, but from all over, there, there is no pure seed ever from the beginning. You know, it's, and that's the whole thing. It's, it's not about the blood that's in your own veins. It's about Yeshua's blood that cleanses you. Because you had Caleb, who was a Canaanite, who was the leader of Judah during the time when they were in the, in the desert, and nobody balked at that. It wasn't like Moses said, well, all right, Caleb, you don't have to keep the Sabbath because you're actually a Kenizzite, you know. And Abraham was a Gentile. You know, it's interesting because if you talk to Jewish folks, they'll say, oh, Abraham, the first Jew. And it's like, no, there weren't any Jews until the tribe of Judah. So these are all really important concepts to get correct, to think through, and to, um, you two, come down here. And so, if, if you don't get your terminology correct now, you will have screwed up pictures and understandings of, of things when you get to the New Testament. So, pay attention to your terminology. Jew is not sermon, synonymous with Israel. Israel is not synonymous with, with Jew. So, you can be a Jew and be part of Israel, but you can be grafted into Israel and not be a Jew. So that makes sense, because Jews are for those from the tribe of Judah or who have attached themselves to the tribe of Judah, as Caleb the Canaanite does. But there's nothing you can do to make yourself a physical Jew. That's why the whole idea of conversion is, is not a biblical concept in the sense that you can be turned magically with pixie dust bing, into a Jew now. 
you know. And so now because you're a Jew, that makes you some sort of special, special person with special responsibilities. That's not how it goes. It's by faith. It's by trust. You choose to be like Ruth, attached to God's people, and you take that burden upon you. It's just like when someone becomes an American citizen. They they become an American because they decide to, and then they take the, the, that country's laws and responsibilities upon themselves, and they're as American as much as anybody else. It doesn't matter what's in their veins. So it's, it, these are simple concepts, but within the religious world, we'd make everything really confusing because we try to bend it to make it what we want it to be instead of what it actually says. So that was my whole point. <laughs> okay, so he's got two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh in front. <clears throat> Verse 2 of chapter 48. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Yosef cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon his bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee. And I will make of thee a multitude of people and will give this land to thy seed and after thee for an everlasting possession. So he's reiterating the promise that God made to him of the covenant, which was promised to Abraham and to all of their descendants, this promise of the land and a multitude of people. It's a, it's a constant common theme throughout the whole, throughout the Bible. Five. And now, Thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto the end of Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they are mine. So I think he makes this, uh, he specifies this purposely because he, there was already infighting within the, the brothers because they came from four different women. <laughs> it's a complicated family. So there was, um, you know, I don't think he wanted any preferential or less preferential treatment to happen. And so he's saying, your two sons who you had in Egypt, not part of the family, with an Egyptian woman, are as much part of the family as Reuben and Simeon. And so they are part of the family. And, because, and as such, they will receive in the blessings of the family and in the inheritance. So let's keep going here. Uh, six. And thy issue, which thou begettest after them, shall be mine. And so he's saying, and all your descendants, they are all part of Israel. They are all part of the family. And, the, and, and, and that's just the way it's going to be. And shall be called after the name of thy brethren in thine inheritance. So, in other words, they're going to get part of the inheritance. They're going to be known as the children of Israel, part of Israel. Um, so, and he keeps going here, and he says, where are they? Bring them here, and he can't really see that well. And, um, and in 10, he says, my eyes are dim. And so we'll go to 11. Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face. And lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, towards Israel's left hand, and Messiah, uh, Messiah, pfft, Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near unto him. So traditionally, when you bless, you, the, the, the firstborn is on your right hand and the, and, the, and the second would be on your left hand. And so Joseph, if, he's, if they're facing each other, he puts them so that Manasseh will be in Jacob's right hand and Ephraim will be in his left hand because Manasseh is the firstborn. So we're going we're gonna to read, read what happens. And Israel, now keep in mind he can't see, so he doesn't know what's going on. Right? Israel stretches out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head. So what he does is 
Ephraim, if you're looking at me, would be, uh, if I'm Israel, Ephraim would be on my left hand and Manasseh would be on my right. But he reaches across and puts his right hand on Ephraim's head and puts his left hand on Manasseh's head. So he switches it. Very important. And his left hand upon Manasseh. So, uh, so Israel 14 stretches out his right hand, lays it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So he, he knew what he was doing. He, he did it purposely. And 15, he blessed Joseph and said, now remember, Joseph's bowed down. He can't see this. So he's, he's you know, he's not paying attention. Not, pay, not that he's not paying attention, but he can't see it because he's bowed down. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, and the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and let my name be named on them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So this is really important. So he, he puts the blessing of the firstborn on Ephraim and he says, let my name Israel be named on them. And that's really important to keep in mind and understand because as you get into when the tribes especially spit, split into the northern and the southern kingdom, Ephraim was the, 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 known as Israel. So that's why the northern kingdom was known as Ephraim or Israel because they were uh, put as the firstborn. And so um, 17, and when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand and removed it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son. I know it. He shall become a, a people. He also shall become a people. And he shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. So he sets Ephraim above Manasseh because he knew that he would be... Um, a multitude of people. And, and then it's interesting, it says, in, uh, in thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make the Israel of Manasseh. And that's like what uh, we, we even do on Arab Shabbat, Friday nights. It's traditional, you bless the children. And so I bless the boys and say, may God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And so it's a traditional thing to bless, bless your children uh, in such a manner. And... Um, and so this is where you get this uh, establishing as Ephraim, as Israel in the northern kingdom in, in this preeminent position, basically. And so it's really important to note that because especially as you get into the king, books of the kings and Solomon and afterwards and the chronicles, it, it, uh, it becomes a very uh, important thing. So um, then we get into... Oh, one other thing I wanted to know. I find it was, it's interesting too. So Joseph dies eventually, Abraham and Jacob dies, and they bring him up and they bear him in the land. But I find it interesting that, well, and I guess Joseph probably knew it, that they were going to be down there 400 years because it was God told Abraham such, or Jacob that. I think it was Abraham. So he told him they were going to be down there. So it wasn't like, all of a sudden, Joseph was like, okay, times are good. Let's pack it up. 
and go back to the land. You know, they stayed there, and they stayed there for 400 years, even after Joseph died. And which gave me a little bit of comfort, because it's like, okay, well, you know, God doesn't wait for forever to do everything, to, to do things, you know, because here, even America's only, you know, 400 years is a long time. It's a long time. America's only been around 200-something years. So, uh, you know, it's a long, it's a long time. And, and uh, to think about it, I mean, no wonder they, in ways, lost their identity because, uh, to some degree, because they were mixed in with all the people, and then they were made into slaves, and you know, things got pretty bad. And so you wouldn't be thinking too much about the prom- or promises of the, the year forefathers and the great nation and all this stuff. It's like, okay, yeah, right. Like, that's going to happen. And then Moses shows up on the scene, right? You know, so it's interesting to me to think about how, you know, if you put yourself in that situation, you know, I tend to read things and think, well, I'd be one of the good guys. And, you know, more than likely, you'd be one of the bad guys. It's just really the truth of the matter. <laughs> it's kind of like, the odds that if you lived in Germany during World War II that you would be part of the Nazis or Nazi sympathizers like, uh, you know, three out of four people. It's like odds are you'd be a bad guy, you know. But we tend to think like, oh, I'd be one of the good guys. It's like, no, you probably wouldn't. So it's interesting. Um, okay, so we go into 49. Um, And we get, chapter 49, we get into the blessings of the sons. I'm not going to try to break down all of this, but it is important to pay attention to it. Um, these are things that will befall in the latter days. Some of these things you can read and, and are fulfilled as you go through the, the, the Bible, and you can see these things happen, but um, other things are not yet fulfilled. And so there's a lot in there. Not everything I can only claim to understand, but it's interesting. So we'll just go through it. 49, Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in these last days. In the last days. Gather yourselves together. Hear ye, sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, and thou defilest it, uh, and thou defilest then defiest thou it, and went up unto my couch. So basically, Reuben, um, you don't really hear too much of him after all this. He basically, and, he, and his father doesn't trust him. That's why Judah is the one that goes down uh, with Benjamin to Egypt. Reuben initially is like, let me take him down there. And Jacob's like, no, I'm not doing that. And then they're running out of food. And, J- and Judah steps up and says, hey, let me take him. And he allows Judah to take Benjamin down. And so Judah, or Reuben, um, is kind of, you know, knocked off of the firstborn trusted position somewhat because of the treachery of his actions. So, five, Simeon, Simeon and Levi, I always read this passage and I feel like, you know, it's a little hard on them for what they did because I would have been like, yeah, good work, guys. <laughs> Well, we'll read it and then talk about it. Simeon and Levi, our brethren, instruments of cruelty in their habitations. O my soul, come thou not into their secret, under their assembly. My honor, be thou that uh, an honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their willful, uh, in their uh, self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I divide it. I will divide them in Jacob, and scatter them in Israel. And that's exactly what happened to. Uh, uh, Levi, 
they're, they're, they become the priesthood, and so they are spread. They don't get land. They're spread all throughout uh, the, uh, the 12 tribes. But so the, where he's cursing them in their anger is when their sister Dina was uh, captured and raped, they just went in and slaughtered everybody. <laughs> Which, I don't know, I kind of I like that story. <laughs> but I guess it was, it, it was not a just thing to do. They went in and they killed everyone, even though it was one guy that perpetrated the issue. And so, uh, you know, their, their um, revenge was not just. They, they were just merciless and went in and wiped them all out. And so, huh? Yeah, right, like two, yeah, yeah. So, so he says, you know, you guys are going to suffer the consequences of that, essentially. You know, there's a, a good principle here that there are consequences for, um, for lack of self-control, basically. You know, there, there, there will be fallout from it because of it that are just natural ramifications that will befall, befell you in your life if you are given over to anger. The Bible talks a lot about that. And, the, and, the, and it's, it's, it's such a true thing. It's like if you can't, and I remember I have fully gotten control of my anger problem. <laughs> That's my mom laughs. But I remember when I was homeschooled and my mom would tell me, if you learn one thing but to control your temper this year. <laughs> and because I had, and, and the thing is, the truth, because the truth of the matter is, it's like if you can't control your temper and you can't control yourself, you really can't, you're not in control of anything. And um, that was a hard lesson for me to learn. And it's a, for some people, you know, luckily not me anymore. Uh, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to learn to get control of. But, you know, if you can't control yourself, you know, what, how are you going to have a positive influence and a, and a good um, you know, control in other areas of your life. And so it's a good barometer. So if you're one that's given to wrath, you know, put that in the check a little bit. Cool off, step back. Don't smash things. <laughs> that's right, you might need it. So then he goes on to Judah. And he says, Judah, thou, uh, verse 8, Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be on the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down to thee. So it, these are all things that you see because Judah becomes where the Jerusalem obviously is set up. David is the king. The kings come from Judah. And so they will praise thee. They will conquer. They're the first tribe to lead out whenever the tribes go anywhere. They always go first. I personally believe that's why Judah is the first to go back to the land, even what we see today, because they always went first. And so... Um, Thy father's children shall bow down to thee. Nine, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, as a lion of old. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall be the gathering, shall the gathering of the people be. So a very famous prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. And so um, it, it relates unto Yeshua and, and and this, the scepter, and which is the law, you know, the authority uh, that they have. 11. Binding is full unto his vine, his ass is cold unto the choice vine. He washes garments in wine and clothes his, uh, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. It reminds me of that passage in um, Revelation where it's like his robe was dipped in the blood of the nations, you know, because David, you know, David was a warrior. He was a, a warrior king. And, and, and when Yeshua returns again, they're 
he's gonna there's gonna be a lot of war and uh it says the lord is a warrior and so um there's this idea that um you know initially when yeshua came the first time he was this the suffering servant and he came to unite the hearts of his people uh, but when he comes again he will come with a sword and so that's all tied into him being from the tribe of judah and being one the king of judah the lion of the tribe of judah 13 uh zebulun shall dwell in the haven of the sea and he shall be a haven for ships and his border shall be undecided issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens and he saw that the rest was good in the land that it was pleasant and he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant unto tribute dan shall judge his people so dan eventually became um, where they set up the altars in the uh, northern kingdom and so unfortunately dan has a rough life <laughs> or makes rough life for themselves as you start reading into the times of the kings in the northern and the southern kingdom he shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse's heels so that his rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Jehovah. It's interesting how that verse is kind of stuck right in the middle there. It's not... Yeah, 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 yeah. So we went to the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit down in Boston, I don't know, five or six years ago, something like that. And they, it was like a little display of the Dead Sea Scrolls and this massive display of idols. Like just, just tons and tons of idols that they had excavated out of the land of Israel. And a lot of the area where they got them from was in the tribes, uh, Dan's tribal area. Um, because there was so much idol worship that went on there, and that's where that northern the 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 pagan um, altar was set up was in Dan in the northern kingdom, and that famous story where the guy has his concubine and he gives her away, and then they the man kill her, and then he cuts her up into a whole bunch of pieces and ships her out throughout the land. Crazy story, and then uh, so that Levite. But anyways, that Levite goes up to Dan, and he acts as a priest in that pagan temple up there. You know, so the, the, the northern kingdom was just dark, dark, tons of idolatry, terrible uh, situation. And so that's where you then get into where the Samaritans come from, and there were these, the Israelite tribes, and they mixed with all these foreign pagan people that were brought in. And, you know, so there's just this mix of chaotic mess and another good reason why you can't say, well, thankfully, I've got a little bit of the gene pool of Zebulun in me that makes me... I mean, it's a mixture all over the place, you know. So, um, yeah, there was a ton of pagan idolatry. So that's why it's important, again, to just absorb all this stuff as you go and you read this so that when you get and get into the New Testament, some of these things start to make sense. So, uh, 19... Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. <clears throat> 20. Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a hind let loose, he giveth goodly words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him, and shot at him, and hated him. But his bow shall abode in strength, and the arms of his hands which were made uh, were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From hence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. 
even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth underneath, blessings of the breast and of the room, blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of that my progenitors unto the utmost bound, utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. So he gets the um, blessing of the firstborn, basically, is what happens. It goes to Joseph instead of to, to Reuben. And so all of like the double portion and the blessings of the deep and of the, uh, and of the heavens and of the land and all of that. And there's a whole lot that people extrapolate out from that. And I'm not going to get into all that. <laughs> Uh, 27, Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is it that their fathers spake unto them, and blessed that, bless them, everyone according to the blessing that he blessed them. <laughs> so then he says, I'm going to die. Bury me in the land. And um, he dies. And then Joseph is sad. And he takes him back to Egypt, I'm sorry, back to Canaan with all the elders of, um, uh, with all the elders of Egypt. And then the people in the land are like, wow, this must have been a really big deal because all Egypt is mourning the loss of this guy. So it was, it was a national event that happened, which I find very fascinating because there's this interesting connection ever since this period between Israel and Egypt because of that. And um, it's fascinating to follow as you go throughout the Bible. So, um, then you get all the way to 15 of chapter 50, and uh, Jacob's dead, and the brothers are like, oh man, what if now Joseph seeks revenge on us? And Joseph says, no, I'm not going to do that, because, uh, in verse 20 says, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear not, I will nourish you and your little ones, and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And so he lives to 110 years, and he sees Ephraim's children under the third generation. And uh, uh, then he says he's going to die. And, he, and they says, but God will surely visit you and shall carry up, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. 26, so Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And then when you finally get to the Exodus story and they're getting ready to leave, Moses goes down and he gets the bones of Joseph, and they bring them with them and eventually go into um, the land. And if I'm remembering correctly, I believe it's uh, Joshua who actually brings them in and buries them because Moses doesn't get to go into the land. And um, so it's just really, I don't know, fascinating stuff. Really, you know, you read it, it reads like a story, but wound into this story are principles and important information that we can learn from and glean from that become very relevant as, as time goes on. They're, it's not just cute little stories with animal heads sticking out of arcs because, you know, you can put it on a flannel board and it entertains children. You know, these are, because if you don't have, we were talking about this, Koi, if you, you can't teach a principle nebulistically apart from concrete foundational, like a story, Whereas you can teach a story to children and they may not gather the principle, but as they get older, you can draw the principles and the meanings out of these stories. And so that's how God works because he's a father and that's how it's always worked 
through millennium because he designed it that way. And so that's why we tell our kids stories and then we get to the end and we say, and the moral of the story is blah, 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 blah. And, but what we tend to do in, because we're so sophisticated in America and Christianity, we tend to say, uh, here's these cute stories, here's the principle, but for us, blah, 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 and we bend it and shape it to whatever we want it to be. And um, you can't do that with scripture. You have to take it for what it says. Um, you know, I talk, to, I talk to folks and, you know, some will say, well, you know, it, what it means to me is, or, and I used to say this stuff too, and, or, I think if everybody just seeks, you know, God in their own way, but, but that's, it doesn't, that doesn't work. Because if you believe the, the God of the Bible is the God of the universe, first you have to come to grips with that. And so if, if that is in fact the case, then what this book says has to be true and valid. Otherwise, it just all falls apart. And why are you bothering anyway? Just because it makes you feel good? That's really what it is. We, we, we formulate these mental... Uh, mental pillows to cushion our, our egos and our insecurities and our wants and our desires. And that just leads to chaos in our lives because all it takes is a couple little holes to get poked in those theories and we just come apart at the seams. And so the first thing that has to happen is, and, then, and when I get to have discussions with people, which isn't all that often, but about these types of things, is like, first off is the God of the Bible, God of the universe. And if so, okay, then you kind of have to take him at his word. Otherwise, you're just building a, a you know, house of cards. Um, and, and that all crumbles and falls down. So, you know. Anyway, all that to say, this is a cool tour portion. And I enjoyed it. Hopefully you did too. And hopefully uh, we'll all, you know, glean and learn from it. Um, because, you know, it's good to review the basics. And... and at first, I was like, ah, this is, you know, I feel like I've, I've read and learned this a hundred times. But the truth is, is that we have to teach them diligently to our children so that they can learn these things and walk in the way as well. And there's our, these are um, core principles to be able to understand the Bible, especially, like I said, when Yeshua shows up on the scene because they don't stop and explain things. The, the New Testament assumes that you've read prior, the prior scriptures. Because that's all they had at the time. And so, um, especially Paul, like especially reading Paul's stuff. So, anyways, we'll stop there. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this wonderful day, this Shabbat. It's time to be together and meet and read from your word. And I just bless you and thank you for it. And I just pray as we go forward uh, this coming week that we would just be a light, uh, study and know you and your word and uh, walk it out. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does nigh on me away. The soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and your.